Welcome to the Lanky Nate Pod. I think episode nine. Um, this is probably if you're a follower of my, if you're if uh, if you're a follower of, of the, if you're a follower of the pod, you may notice that this one's going to be like a week late. I missed a week. Um, you're not going to notice that. <laughs> no one. I I've barely got an audience. Which is fine. Um, and now I'm distracted. You're gonna listen to me try to catch a fly as I also try to find things to talk about. I accidentally let a fly into the house and it's driving me insane. Um, I just got a message on Bumble from someone saying, what's your favorite topic you like to talk about? Um, So I answered truthfully, I don't have favorites. I just write. Speaking of dating apps, um, (laughs) I I went on a Tinder date the other week. Um, Pretty nice lady, I guess. Bit bit weird. She, uh, we we sit down, and the first thing that happens as I'm trying to just say how was your day or whatever, she claps her hand. She goes, and then scrapes this little bug off her hand, and she goes, "Sorry, sorry, I'm a vegan." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which was extremely entertaining. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, so we get talking, and um, oh God, oh I'm gonna have to like ask these girls if I can just put my recording device on so I can just interview them because some of them are fascinating. She talks about. Um, uh, uh, so she, so she works, she's like a lawyer, a trained lawyer who works, um, usually in like, as someone who, who fights for workers' rights and union rights and stuff like that, and is a, quite the activist as well, which is pretty cool. I find that appealing, the humanitarianism. I mean, me, I, I go on about how important humanitarianism and I, Still, I'm just just not actually doing anything slightly humanitarian. I'm just hoping that someday I build myself up as an artist or someone who, oh God, someone who is valuable and, and, and helpful to humanity at some point. But at the moment, the best I'm doing is just being a semi-self-help guru to the people I, I'm with at uni. Uh, I'm kind of improving people's lives slightly. I'm doing much for homeless. I'm just talking about myself again. Maybe, maybe, maybe that can be a challenge for myself or a promise to myself. Next time I earn a decent amount of income, like expendable income, I'll always keep like $20 worth of change or even several $5 notes around with me so that I can give to homeless people on the street. It's just there's so many in Melbourne. 
I, I always justify not not doing it because well sometimes they're quite aggressive and mean and you don't want to go near them but <laughs> some not all uh but it's also like dude if i if i gave some money to every every person i i, I passed like you'd soon become homeless there's so many and it's like what to do you can't not just but just get frustrated at the government and whatnot because they have everything they need to mitigate this like if you just all it takes is as a collective effort to like really set set up the some goals and you can take care of everything anyway so back to this date she talks about that stuff and we get into like big ideas she says she believes in striving for a utopia. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah. Like, what, what kind of a utopian? And I'm like, um, and she's like, because she wants peace and prosperity for everyone. I'm like, so how, 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 what do you reckon the utopia would look like? And she took a second and she's like, I don't know, but I want a utopia. I'm like, yeah, okay. And I don't have the heart to tell her at this point that I just watched one of those animated TED talk, TED, TED shorts that talk about utopia, how it was come about and it's come about, uh, the, the word originally came from like Greek philosophers who tried to think of a perfect system of living. And then towards the 20th century, because of the word utopia, dystopia was invented because when you, when you really buckle down and, and, and do the math and we'll, we'll just like figure out how it could be done. You can't have, a, you can't have a perfect utopia without there someone being on the bottom suffering in order to achieve it, according to this thing. Um, and I agree. Like I've thought about, I've pondered this many times. It's like, how, how do we fix all the world's issues? Like, you can't have a system that's perfect for everyone without it being kind of fucked, or like there being some kind of fucked thing to reach, to achieve it. Um, like, you'd need, God, you'd need some kind of freak, freaky totalitarian regime that just forces everyone to do something, to, do, to be the same. Um, so we'd all have to give up our freedom. We could, we could very easily have peace and unity and utopia, quote unquote, if we all gave up our freedom and became pretty much robots. Or if we were like bred into being robotic humans, like just completely compliant. Um, so it's like, how do we achieve peace on earth, but also freedom at the same time. It's one of those great conundrums. But she's striving for this utopia and she believes, she doesn't know how it could happen and she believes it could happen. I'm like, okay. <clears throat> and she's like, I think, I think we need, she goes, I think we need a, a revolution. I'm like, ah, all right. Yeah. So that's interesting. I mean, the thing about revolution is that the revolution itself is the easy part, 
Um, and then what happens after is very hard because you've got all these people in, in power now who have no experience being in power. And this has happened every time in history. Um, like things even out eventually, but there's a lot of death and famine and, and bad things that happen after the revolution. And she's like, yeah, I know. And I hate violence and I hate death. I hate death. I hate death. But we need a revolution. Oh, what the fuck? And then I talk about um, how I have my own visions of possibly how we can achieve our perfect life. Um, and I think I mentioned something about how like people go on about how fucked capitalism is. And we, we were both talking about that, how fucked capitalism is. She certain, certainly said it a lot. And, um, and I brought in my view of we could potentially rid ourselves of capitalism if we as the populace could band together and just abandon consumerism and all come together to like live off the grid. Those of us who can, of course, obviously, a lot of us are going to be dependent on um, medical technology and whatnot. But we could, but if we focused on um, our messages, like activist messages on each other, instead of just yelling at the people in control to change things for us because they're in control either way. But we could control our own lives. We have the means to educate ourselves. Um, and she's like, yeah, but I think we just really need a revolution. <laughs> I think, I, I don't think that's gonna happen. That's, that sounds like very, like that doesn't sound systemic enough. We need something systemic I'm like, and okay, here's the, here's the killer part. At one point she's like, so I believe in that and I believe in the environment and like getting rid of government and getting rid of capitalism and um, taking care of the environment and, and being, being a utopia. But um, that's my ideology. Do you want to join my ideology? <laughs> and I don't know how serious she was in saying, do you want to join my ideology? <laughs> Maybe she was half joking and half serious. Maybe she was all serious. She kind of gave a smile. But um, I didn't have the heart to tell her that some about a year ago now, I put my foot down and decided, I came to the realization that, holy shit, there is no good ideology. You can't, it is not a good idea at all to be an ideologue. Anytime you find yourself becoming ideological or dogmatic, that's when you need to take a step back and become grounded. Because he's, I'm not sure if I've talked about it on the podcast yet. So it actually came to me when I was reading Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. He really goes on about, um, I think there's this overarching message of, of being wary of ideology, even though he's kind of ideological himself. And so maybe, maybe he's not aware of it. And that's why it wasn't explicitly said. There's, there is no explicit point in, in, in his book. But I had this interpretation of, I see, the problem is ideology. So I don't know if he's aware of it or not. But here's, here's the thing of ideology. Um, it's a system of ideas. System of ideas, right? So the problem with that is, ideas exist in the ether. They exist in the human mind only. 
you what 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 if they're being applied to real life this can be a problem because it's not grounded enough you need you need a certain amount of real ethos real merit real like true true to life things to live by as much as we can perceive at least um because when when you just have a system of ideas stacked over ideas stacked over ideas which is what ideology pretty much is it it may be very true to life for a while or um yeah at least for a time but times change and even if it's a really accurate ideology things get out of whack and get inaccurate and they run out and they wear down um but of course yeah there are plenty of ideologies that uh, close have a close just just explain life and systems and societies well enough to function f for a time um, religion does but of course like you see see how many times the uh, Christianity has splintered into different factions um, and they and then they go against each other because there were certain needs but not everyone agreed on the needs um, they had this disagreement on morality and you look at god um marxism and then it turned and then that got used to make socialism and, and communism which had the whole fucking communist regime and that's what the western culture likes to remind western culture all the time about how fucked communism is and they kind of does anyone notice that like you like you've got uh, like movies like anastasia and they really put a focus on how there was there used to be the Tsars, the royal family of um, Russia. And then they got overthrown in that by what what was it, the Leninists or someone? Anyway, um, and then and then throughout Hollywood history the reds were painted as like this foreign other thing. But no one knows but some few of us actually go over to the communist countries because they're and see what that's like and they've gone through a lot of fucked shit they're, they're an example of like revolution and it being very ugly but then things eventually stabilizing again because a lot of these i think china is supposed to be becoming more and more capitalist all the time um and i think so, some south american ones that places where they had very violent regimes but have eventually stabilized not that i've actually read up on this stuff this is just some things i hear through podcasts um and i haven't even traveled at all so i really can't say but anyway what i'm saying is what am i saying these things come about you can you can bring about more balanced things but often there's a lot of violence and death and destruction on the way I think there can be more of a focus of just bringing peace peacefully and that can be done surely or at least more peace <clears throat> maybe inner peace maybe if we <laughs> if enough of us became self-help gurus if you had enough self-help gurus just going around convincing everyone or teaching everyone to have inner peace to not be consumerists anymore to not uh, be judgmental to not compete to just simply live be content living simply and 
appreciating each other. Maybe we could have a better thing. Maybe not perfect, but better. Fuck, where was I going with this? Talking about what, uh, what, uh, I can't even say if this is like a deep conversation or not because I'm being so fucking vague. Uh, so yeah, that was the date. Um, nothing really happened at the end. We just said, so, well, I, w I wanted to see a comedy show and she's like, okay, letting me do that. <laughs> and she, uh, she had to go home. She, at least, yeah, yeah, she paid, she paid for the beer. I got to have a beer. She had like a beer and a, and a wine. And we had a nice chat. And uh, that was that. And we went our separate ways. Uh, so I've got some house inspections today. That's a topic. Three. <laughs> One in Carlton, I think, or maybe it's Fitzroy. One. Uh, two in Reservoir. Or Reservoir. Reservoir, reservoir is they say. Um, and there's that. That's it. Well, they're really cheap. One's like 160. One's 130. Another one's 150. Or 130. I don't know. They're very cheap places. The one that's closer to the city is probably really dodgy. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm probably just going to prefer some place that actually has a bon uh, a lease. Probably don't want to go into another place that doesn't have a lease. I haven't done that for a while, but uh, yeah, it's a bit dodge. And you don't get um, rent assistance on Sunlink. So if I don't have a lease, I'm getting less money. But dude, it'd be so sweet living in a really cheap place because I'm barely like the money that's coming in is just enough to pay for rent and bills anything else food travel expenses shows anything else is all coming out of my savings and I think I've just watched like two to three thousand dollars trickle out uh, over the last couple of months, and it's not a good feeling. I could probably last another year like this. But I don't want to see that money go away. I want to live somewhere cheaper where I can actually possibly even save money on Centrelink. How crazy would that be? Oh, wouldn't that piss off so many people who hate doll bludgers? But, uh, I think everyone should be paid to live. Enough to live. And a given housing. That's a universal basic income and um, whatnot. I think I brought that up too. Like, I think universal basic income on the date. I think I brought that on the up on the date, and I'm like, I think universal basic income can work if you bring it in like area by area, like sector by sector, or like instead of everything at once. Um, and of course you just disagreed and goes, I think it just needs to be systemic change. <laughs> God. Uh, but yeah, uh, speaking of houses, it always gets to me, um, how dodgy houses are. I'm like, I'm sure plenty of people know about the dodgy housing market and it's one thing that's like fucking up Australia's economy right now. All these corporations and, and rich cunts built, buying up 
properties and then like having a monopoly over the renting um, and and how like if they'll rent out the I don't know they, you, you, if you own enough property and you rent out certain things and you don't rent out other things and the price you can you can fluctuate you can change the price market to your to your own um, benefit and uh, there are a lot of big foreign companies buying up property in Australia and fucking with everything and meanwhile there are so and and there are like tax cuts for them because they do deals with the liberal government um, a lot of this is because of John Howard and uh, meanwhile people are homeless and poor and and living like me literally all my money going into just living expenses and and nothing else when I'm when I'm a full-time student I'm like I'm, I'm trying to fucking put all my time and effort into learning what I'm learning for the Bachelor of Music, but also doing a little bit of this, this creative stuff when I can. When I can, I didn't even do it last week. I mean, I was sick. I was sick with like strep throat or something, but I could have done something. But yeah, and houses just suck in general. Oh yeah, I was talking about how, how doesn't it, isn't it weird how like we always have problems of fucking uh, mold or rot or termites or whatever. Just problems with houses or, or, or it'll be like a brick house and then eventually the earth underneath it just shifts slightly and then the the bloody geometry changes of the house and and obviously the brick can't handle that it's not a stretchy house it starts breaking down and splitting in areas and it's just it doesn't make sense the way we make things doesn't make sense and i've gotten really into i think it's i think it's because i'm approaching 30 i got i got into looking at tiny houses and stuff tiny homes, tiny houses, and, and people making their own, like kind of like grand designs where you see people build their own houses, but shorter versions on YouTube, like all these people building their eco houses or their perfect, perfect utopian little houses, little homes. It's very fascinating. And there are like, when you use geometry and all these other factors and like, um, when you're taking consideration the environment where you're building your house and where the sun hits and and sloping angles, um, weather patterns, you can build a house that blends into the land and is extremely efficient in every way. Um, I really like round houses, kind of like yurts and um, these ancient um, British things. There were these ancient British and European roundhouses, and they and in Northern Ireland, uh, not Northern Scotland, there were these brocks, these round towers made out of the flat rock, the flat stone around, because that was just a material they had around, and they were incredibly, they seem to have been incredibly like efficient in just housing, because when it's like we always use squares, but roundhouses are way more. Um, uh, uh, way more effective in regulating temperature so if you want if you want it to be hot you could have a heat source in the center and things heat up there was this guy who was like this geometric geometry genius he made he's he created all these designs for like dome buildings and stuff out of like hexagons like you put these hexagon frames together and you make these big domes or spheres I was watching a video about him and um, the opinion of the guy making the video about him, I think it's Answers with Tom, um, 
It's a good channel, by the way. I think that's what it's called. So he had this, he said this line, sometimes being right too early is the same as being wrong. But this guy that did all this geometric stuff back in the day, he uh, invented these roundhouses. And the top of them, like they were, they were kind of, they kind of look like a cylinder at the base. And then you have this big sheet metal um, dome shape on the top. But the dome shape had, was topped with another little bit. It was kind of like those roof exterior air conditioning fans that spin and like catch the air. Something that kind of works like that, but like covers the whole tip of the, the top of the dome. And then you just have airflow regulating. And then there's like vortex effect in the, in the top of the dome in the house. And then things are regulated. And meanwhile, at the base where all, all the rooms are, you, you have movable walls or you have curtains for walls or just like you can rearrange the house within the house to suit your needs. They're extremely advanced homes, but of course, no one wants to live in domes. People don't like domes. We're, we're all brought up with square houses, square shaped rectangular houses um, with, with a triangle on the top usually, or just a square shaped apartment block. It's what we're used to and it's no one wants any different. It's kind of like the white picket fence thing. Everyone dreams of the thing that everyone has. Most people aren't interested in something new, even if it's way better because it's not familiar, which is interesting. And, and, and there's a great cost to that. I've recently been thinking about um, how there was that massive hurricane or was it a cyclone i think a hurricane in, in in new orleans a while back it was very very big very tragic a lot of a lot of homes destroyed and um <clears throat> and then it was it made the news that brad pitt started this foundation to like build the homes for them and now recently like it, it turns out the homes aren't very well made the designs are pretty good but like the materials just inappropriate for the area like the, the, it's not the right wood and the wood's not treated properly for um, an area with that kind of humidity. And people are complaining about it so the, so the places are rotting apart. But um, it's interesting that they would build, they, they were kind of nicer look, slightly more modern looking homes, but they were still just your regular sort of, or they're just regular looking houses. Meanwhile, there's one town in Australia called Pedi. It's extremely barren land. It's flat, harsh desert, but it's got enough people to populate a town and it's all built underground. They dig into the earth and make these underground cavern homes and it's extremely cheap to do so. Like anytime you need a new room, you just hire someone to dig it out. The reason people, and, and they have to because it's like you can't live on the surface. You can't live in a regular house. You'll just die of heat. There is, there'll be no, there's, it's not, you won't be able to build a regular house that'll just ha have enough air conditioning. But they don't need air conditioning usually, I don't think, because they live underground. Um, the reason people live there, it, it's, it's full of this precious stone called opal and people, there's a lot of opal mining there. So sometimes people will be digging their home and they will just find a massive opal and 
will be set <laughs> like million dollar opals while building their house it's pretty fucking crazy so that's interesting people people there have a motivator a motive to live in an extremely arid place because they could win it big quite easily by finding opals there people wouldn't usually live there people are choosing to live there because uh, of the financial gain um, and in order to survive in this harsh environment they innovate by building underground homes they just dig their own homes whereas places like New Orleans that are fairly normal most of the, most of the year very comfortable places to live but occasionally every five to ten years or something will have a huge storm and destroy everything on the surface people don't pay attention to that now I'm not saying that the exact same method of building an underground house is what they should do I mean you wouldn't the way, if you saw the way they dig houses in Cuba Beach, the soil is totally different. It's much harder, rockier, drier soil that could that can be dug and you can have cabins out of me on New Orleans. Totally different soil. Um, wouldn't be do, able to do the exact same thing, but it would make sense to have some kind of structure that is like under an amount of earth, like maybe kind of like I, I guess just off the top of my head, the Hobbit holes. In the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit which are very beautiful things it's just a bad sounding name Hobbit hole but that's the whole point of the beginning of the Hobbit where he says it's not a it's not a nasty thing it's a very beautiful comfortable thing Hobbit hole means comfort imagine if that became the trend in New Orleans to make these Hobbit holes these somewhat underground hole houses which would be pretty much completely weatherproof completely weatherproof because well, maybe if you didn't have them deep enough. They, they would probably have to be designed and tested. But if they were made in a way that would work with the soil, work with the environment, and then would be um, hurricane-proof, you'd have a town, or how big is New Orleans? Is it a town or is it a city or what? Um, uh, you'd have a population where you have these beautiful-looking, interesting homes that would be immune from the occasional threat of hurricanes that being something from every 5, 10, 15 years, whatever it is because people live in houses longer than that God, this must sound like an insane rambling but of course, as saying before people don't like what's different they would require a, a whole new trend and people just like regular normal houses, usually maybe that's how to make change just get a whole lot of Lord of the Rings enthusiasts to join in making a trend of hobbit holes and make hobbit holes all around the world. Just these extremely, extremely energy efficient, space, space efficient, cost effective houses that last and last and last because they're built to last properly. Like not built to last a few decades, built to last hundreds of years. And it can be done. Just get stones. Stones and maybe certain types of wood. I don't know. Wooden frame support, stones for the like foundation, and then you cover it in dirt. They're already like in like I mentioned the brocks in in Scotland. There's also throughout throughout the British Isles um, these caverns, these underground caverns. No one really knows what they were for, but they were like circular stone 
um, buildings and they're like sort of, they're fairly round, sort of dome shaped, I think. It's hard to tell. Maybe they're cylindri cylindrical, but they are covered in earth. Um, and no one knew they existed until a storm kind of shifted some of the earth off and you could see them. But they, they seem very stable and they've been there for thousands and th tens of, like 10,000 years or something. Um, and they're in good condition. They were just buried for a bit. No one knew about them until recently. For the, to like, uh, since until the past hundred years or something. But yeah, maybe that's what I want to do. Build my own house that will last forever. Maybe some hobbit holes and, uh, and a wizard's tower made out of stone. It's a nice tall tower. But since I was a kid, like I was very inspired by Lord of the Rings and I liked how, I liked the ideas of wizard's towers, kind of like Saruman's, even though, well, Saruman's a bad guy, but he used to be a good wizard. And he had this single tower which is interesting, it's kind of like a castle, and everyone loves castles. Everyone wants to experience living in a castle. But imagine a castle that was specifically built for one person. It would pretty much just, like, and, and it was the size you'd need for one person. It would just be a tower. Makes perfect sense. So since I was about 11 years old, I think, I've daydreamed about building a tower, just out of whatever, center blocks, bricks, but stone would be really nice. Actual proper stone. Maybe even uh, compacted um, compacted straw. There's this method where you take straw and you get like a bunch of it and then you just like stack it into a wall long ways so that it's like, so that the, the thickness of the wall is the length of a full sprout of straw. Um, which is like a meter or something, like a yard long. Uh, and you pack, and so like you pack them, you stack them all, and they get really closely stacked to get pressed together. And then you cover it in like plaster or whatever you want to cover it with. And then you have like this meter thick wall of insulated straw. And it doesn't catch fire because it is so tightly compacted. I think it's on an episode of QI. I'll have to look it up actually, it's really interesting but it's very cheap. It's a natural material and just really cool. I also like how um, there's this new technology that'll be, if it comes in to popular use, it'll be so fantastic. You have this machine, it's a 3D printing machine, but it's a giant machine that prints with cement, with concrete. So you set it up and then it just, it's got this big mechanical arm that um, squirts out cement uh, and it bit by over 24 hours, it just takes 24 hours for it to print out around it this big round concrete house. Well, not that big, it's a, it's a minimalist size house, but enough for one family or a couple of people. 24 hours to build a cement house with a 3D printing machine. How cool is that? And it's like this beautiful round design. I really like small round houses. It's something that's, that used to be done back in like the Bronze Age and the Iron Age. And we could bring it back. We could bring it back. Bring back the round house, man. Very exciting stuff. 3D printed houses. Oh, and they only cost like $10,000. Imagine that, just $10,000.
to build a house. That's everything you need and was, it is probably, as long as they don't fuck up the design, is really resistant. $10,000 to have your own beautiful roundhouse built in 24 hours. I'd pay that. Dude, I could probably do it now. Maybe it's 20 grand, I don't know. But it's a ridiculously small amount of money for a house. Maybe I should look into it. I wonder if it can be done. Just buy up a small bit of land and have a 3D printed roundhouse. They've got some good payment options that'd be really cool. Could even live in the city, just buy one of those spots of land that are in the city that are only like 100 meters by 100 meters or something. Or 50 by 50. Man, more and more as I'm going out and walking around, I see uh, just bags of dog shit that have just been left there and not taken to a bin. Like if you go that far, like the worst of it's already done. Maybe people just don't want to be seen holding a bag of shit. <laughs> so they won't walk to a bin. So I'm just walking around without wearing my headphones and it's amazing how much more you hear when you're not listening to music but also don't have earphones blocking off. My footsteps are so loud. And so is my voice echoing back to me actually. Just got waved at by a charity mugger. You know, someone goes, Hey, how's it going? Good, thanks. Are you, are you a nature lover? She's, she seemed to mumbled it. Am I intimidating or maybe she just has a hard time talking to people? Well, it's a living. Anyway, I, re I replied, not. <laughs> May as well. No, I do love nature, but uh, dude, I cannot. I, I, I am watching my money go away. I do not have the money to support a cause. I don't have enough money to support just people in need, man. Excuse the sound of the traffic. Some people might enjoy this. Um, but anyway, I'm back home now. On the topic of what I used to daydream about, I have at some point more recently accumulated this knowledge of um, traditional architecture, efficient architecture, um, eco homes, as well as the permaculture stuff like food forests. I can't remember if I've talked about food forests. Probably have. But yeah, so a food forest is when you build a forest from the ground up, from the scratch, um, and you select all the vegetation that makes up the forest. So you pick the trees, and, and generally you pick plants that produce a fair bit of food for humans. So you get a few types of trees, you get tall trees, you get short trees, you get bush plants, you get vine plants, and you get root plants and if you have the you need the right ones of course for the the soil you've got and the and wherever you know depending on where you are geographically you'll need the right kinds of plants that are compatible with the land but you get the right selection of plants and they all protect each other provided that the forest is big enough and and uh and you have food all year round if um, because you have certain plants that 
uh, that are in season and some aren't. Whereas when you just grow things in crops, there are certain advantages to growing things in crops um, in the in the agriculture in the way of agriculture. But when when things are fueled by profit, and you have big fields, big crops of just a single thing, a single plant. They're very fragile. Um, that's why we use all these pesticides, and we have to turn to GMOs, and and then there's all, like all this environmental damage with irrigation and all the runover and. All, all the other things that come with it. And sometimes the soil is damaged as well. In terms of profit, it makes sense because it's managed, it can be mitigated that way. But when it comes to just wholesome, being wholesome again, like like I said before, it's not very wholesome. Whereas it kind of gets back to this, um, I did bring this up with this Tinder date. Like I was like, speaking of utopia, here's like this vision I've been having with what I've learned. It would be... I think it'd be a beautiful place to live, this imaginary land where you have hobbit holes that are beautifully designed, very comfortable, and like mostly disaster proof. Like proof, uh, like can't, won't be burned down, won't be blown away by a big storm, um, is set in the earth in a way that like erosion won't affect it. I'm sure there's a way of mitigating that. And meanwhile, they're surrounded by food forests, um, these big forests that are big enough to sustain itself. Um, if it, there's like partial fires, like because fires are quite a uh, forest fires are a natural occurring thing. It's something you have to be able to live with. So you don't want to live in the forests, near the forests. But you'd have all these food plants um, protecting each other, like the big ones protecting the small ones, and and because and you won't have the weeds or unwanted types of weeds because there'll be too much competition from the plants you already set up there and you have this livable place and it's all nature and you don't have to worry about buying food because it's all there especially if there's like animals to hunt and fish to fish fish to hunt and animals to hunt preferably no rent if it's all owned and just settled um and what would be really cool, not necessary, but really cool, is in the center of this little village, you have this big wizard's tower where you have the scholars go and, and look at the stars and learn about the world, maybe. I don't know. That's, the, that's, the, that's when it gets a bit fan, fantasy, fantastical. But this is an image. This is like the closest thing to Utopia I have, and it's... Partially thanks to watching, being obsessed with Lord of the Rings as a kid. And also partly from learning about um, architecture and, and permaculture and efficient, effective living. And, and also what's good for us as humans. Being around all that green, all the green grass, all the green forest would be extremely good for our health. Oh, and it, the population would, if you keep the population under 150 people, apparently, theoretically, that's Dunbar's number. When you have 150 people uh, communing regularly, they all kind of look after each other. That's that's what our tribal size was, and that's what hunter-gatherers tribes that are still around. That's that's their maximum size, 150 people. And you can sort out alleged uh, theoretically, you can sort out your differences. You don't need authority. Very interesting idea. Um, so I I described this to this Tinder date, and I can't remember what she thought of it. But um, she was really fixated on 
having a revolution, a, system, a systemic revolution. There was also this bit, I think it was fairly early on in the conversation, where I was talking about, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, where I think I can help people get over these existential dreads they're having, like by just, if I had some kind of maybe a stand, like it's what I'd like to do in a stand-up show, just make it an actual seminar where I get people to say things that are problems with the world. Like if it was listing off climate change issues or environmental issues, I'd like put it on a board, a big chalkboard or something, and then say, okay, now that we've got all these problems, allow me to do my SimCity solutions. <laughs> and I like just go, well, I know about this particular thing. Uh, if it's like um, plastic pollution, I'll start with, well, first of all, if we phase out all plastic by the end of the century, then there will be no plastic in existence. It will all be de uh, degraded and gone by 3100. And the retort people always give that is like, yeah, but we're not going to live that long. We want to see the earth clean. Well, fortunately, when it comes to at least plastic in the ocean, there was, it was on TED, it was on a TED talk and other things. A high schooler a few years ago invented a machine that floats around and just picks up bits of plastic automatically. Um, invest in that. So if you're someone who's really focused, who's really... Like you pick this out of the list of problems with the world, you, you pick the one that really affects you most and then you research ways of mitigating it and fixing it, fixing the solution. And then you have the choice of getting a career or spending time volunteering or something, spending your time working towards fixing that problem. And that, that way you have suddenly got a purpose. You have a sense of purpose. You have something to do. You know that what you're doing is benefiting the world and suddenly there's a good chance that if you've got existential depression like so many of us do now, doing this will help you pretty much resolve that. Um, and if you're worried about the other things going on and then I'll just go through the list of problems and just like that first example, talk about all these things like uh, the beef industry. I've talked about it on the pod before. First of all, if you're worried about methane, well, if you're worried about the methane, go about the first thing. You, you don't have to do what the vegans do and stand in the middle of the city square holding big TVs of animal slaughter in, in, in the houses. Like, yeah, sure, it's turning a few people vegan, but it's not stopping the meat industry. What, what you could do is at least have an effect on the meat industry. Do something to encourage all beef producers to feed seaweed to the cattle because apparently what i've heard you don't you, you just have to feed a little bit of seaweed to a cow and they produce considerably less methane that's only a little part of the issue that we're worried about but imagine but like small things on big scales take a lot of work and you're just one person so if you're spending your time making sure that as many cows in existence um, are fed the right foods so that they produce, produce less methane and have less of an effect on the greenhouse gas emissions, you are working towards a cause greater to yourself. You are working for a purpose, a fulfilling one, that, and you know you are helping the world. That, in theory, 
is enough to rid you of your sense of dread and hopelessness and give you hope. Um, and if you get sick of the, the cause you're doing, you can always look at the other causes. That's something I'd like to do. Uh, go about encouraging people to just do some homework into problem solving instead of just crying to the authorities in protests. Like, it's great that people get together and have that drive to go out and, and be activists. But it's, a, it's incredibly inefficient, if you ask me. If all of those people, um, so like, just like, look at the, <clears throat> what is it? The, well, the environmental activists, the climate activists, the Extinction Rebellion. Imagine if all of those people used that energy to just stay home and do research, like spent hours a day focusing their need for a better world onto researching methods of improving things. You would have thousands upon thousands of people becoming experts in things like environmental science because they are like they're just like getting profound knowledge. They'll be maybe not specialists at first, but like just having an extremely good amount of knowledge. And they, if they learned what I learned after me, like I this year, several times have gone down rabbit holes of knowledge, learnt about, learnt way more about climate change than I thought I'd ever know. Know just how complicated. I've now got an idea of just how complicated it is had a small amount of time of just being thinking we're doomed and now I'm at peace going actually what we should just focus on is doing things that yes are more beneficial more wholesome more efficient um, better for the environment yes that is immediately rewarding but also do some long-term things R change our preferences in architecture so that things are weatherproof and are built to last a long, long time. And just set ourselves up to be living in harmony with the environment, with the world and with ourselves the best we can. Because I feel like I'm very much in harmony with life. And this is, and I'm someone who until this year or last year was pretty much affected so much by depression that I was pretty much disabled. And I still have habits of just being maybe it's also just my personality type but i am a very passive person i wait things out but these days i'm a lot more active or i'll just jump on things spontaneously and a lot of it is, is fear just fear of having trying not trying things before and but you know the more things you try step by step the more the better you are at trying new things and you then you try even more things and it stacks up anyway so I'll, I'll finish this part. I'll, I'll just go back to the date. So after I explain this thing of how, and I say uh, how people can get over their existential dread by having a purpose and stuff, she goes, wow, that's very optimistic of you in a kind of nihilistic way. <laughs> um, great. Yeah, so me tr trying to encourage people to find purpose is nihilistic. And it is... Granted, fairly nihilistic in just focusing on what's real, what exists in instead of um, some ideological morality. But I always see flaws in those things. 
So just focus on what's real is what I like to do. That's great. Yeah, that is how I describe myself as well. An optimist nihilist. (laughs) Anyway, so that's we're nearly 57 minutes into the podcast now. Um, Before I finish up, I'll just make a couple of points. So when I was talking about um, making underground homes in places like New Orleans, uh, it would, (laughs) I don't know if anyone's going to listen to this and suddenly go, "Mm, I'm going to make my underground home. But uh, well, when you look at the way people build their underground homes in Kubapedi, you can tell it's definitely a place where there's never any rain because if you think about rain, if it rained there, they would likely get flooded out. So places where it rains a lot, I don't know how you'd go about making a home that doesn't get flooded that is in the ground. Hopefully there's a way. Or maybe um, I'm wrong about the Hobbit hole design and there needs to be something else. Maybe, maybe it'd work if you're on the hills. Or um, carve the side of a mountain and make dwarf, dwarven homes, like mountain homes, like 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 also in Lord of the Rings, like uh, the big mine of Moria. How there's like this big carved into a mountain bloody city. Anyway, yeah, or or maybe the um, printed three D three D printed concrete roundhouses would be really good because they seem like they'd be really sturdy, and if you build them tall enough. Because I noticed, just thinking about the New Orleans houses, they are on stilts, just like in Queensland, Australia, which means water can flow underneath them if it doesn't get too high, the flooding. So yeah, I don't know if an underground home would work in a place where it floods, because you'd just get flooded out. Anyway, um, just one more thing on goals. I got from this, there's this online dating coach uh, with a website called School of Attraction. And he's got like this online book you can read. Um, it's a great, it's, it's really into self-help and stuff. Um, anyway, there's this lesson that came out of it called SMART goals, S-M-A-R-T goals. Um, so you look at, uh, so, so SMART stands for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound smart goals when you have a problem think of achieving mitigating the problem set up goals step-by-step goals specific measurable achievable realistic time-bound goals yeah nice little lesson um all right so i'll finish it up there uh subscribe to lanky nate on youtube Hopefully I'll think of something to put on there soon. Maybe I'll upload some podcasts. Uh, Lanky Nate Comedy on Facebook. Lanky Nate Comedy on Instagram. Be good to each other. Be good to yourselves. And uh, peace out, folks. Bye.